Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It is Tony, and I have been delaying having this conversation. I think I was waiting to find the right executive to really dive into almost the psyche or the psychology behind workplace culture onboarding, really examining all the generational changes that have been happening in the workforce. Sometimes these conversations can seem a little soft, uh, a little gray. You know, some of the other business topics that we do get into here are much more black and white. You know, how do you scale? How do you add a distributor? But I had the pleasure of meeting Mike Fiato. He's the SVP guest experience at Eurist. Uh, they're part of Compass. And we had just this great conversation about this topic. And I, I had to have you down, Mike. I, I just thought this is a great time to get into this because, let's face it, guest experience is paramount um, in, in hospitality, in food service, in retail. And you are literally in the, the eye of the storm <laughs> uh, with, with this for your organization. So thank you so much for coming down and joining us today. My pleasure, Tony. Excited to talk to you today. Well, and I think you're the perfect person for this. I, I've gotten to know you a little bit, and you really just have this, uh, I think, the right outlook on life and people. Um, you have a huge heart. You need that when you're in 
guest services and, and guest experience because you have to have this empathy to understand, you know, who you're dealing with and also the people who are providing that service. Um, before we really kind of dive into this uh, topic today, uh, for people who maybe who don't know you, can you tell us just a little bit about your role as as, as SVP at URIS and how it fits in with, with Compass? Just kind of give us a nice overview. Sure. Happy to, Tony. So my name is Mike Fiato. Really important to start out with that the opinions I give on these, these podcasts are my own and not necessarily a reflection of the amazing company I work for. So I am the Senior Vice President of Guest Experience for Eurest. Eurest is a division of the Compass Group. And basically, my team, you can kind of split us into two pieces. We spend 50% of our time with the internal guest. We handle onboarding. We handle guest engagement. We handle a lot of the training that goes on. And then we spend the other 50% of our time connecting with our guests, right? Understanding what they're looking for, what they want from us, really trying to create an environment where the guests feel like that they have a say in our services. I think when you look at companies that connect on an emotional level with their guests, they typically have unprecedented success. And that is certainly what we are trying to do. It sounds easier said than done, connecting with your guest on an emotional level. It is. But you know, Tony, I would say this, the one the one blessing or one of the many blessings uh, in my role is that we serve food and food is emotional, right? People get excited about eating lunch. So true. The, the whole idea, right, when people cross the threshold into our space, they're already excited. So to elevate that experience and to create something memorable um, is certainly not just an opportunity for us, but something as simple as a smile, making eye contact with somebody, giving somebody a fond farewell. All of those things will make that experience memorable. And when people go back to their desk or they go sit down at their table and they have an amazing meal, you know, chances are we're going to get them back again. All right. Well, since your role is focused on both sides of the equation, your, your internal and then your external customer Let's take a look at the internal to start with, right? If you don't have strong onboarding, if you don't have the right people, the right mindset, it's going to be very difficult for them to provide that experience to the external guest. And that really kind of takes us to what we want to talk about today. And that is really what you've witnessed, this change in the workplace, right? These generational changes that have occurred and you're at the center of that, really trying to lead that transformation. So I would love to hear just in general, what are some of the biggest changes that you have noticed between, say, I don't know, Gen X to, you know, the millennials and Gen Z that you're trying to hire and put in these such important positions? Sure, Tony. And, and think about, too, you got to throw in there like a global pandemic and everything that's happened. So, you know, I would think the biggest thing that you have to draw from all of this is that power has shifted from organizations to people, right? And, and the thing about the younger generation is, right, they're powerful, they're opinionated, and they're well-connected. They want to work for companies that share their visions and share their values. And, you know, I think you you partner that with the fact that a lot of people have left hospitality, um, you know, it, it makes for a tough equation. And, and the first thing that I think when you're thinking about trying to bring somebody into your organization, 
I think you got to kind of throw away the old kind of interview process, how you used to bring people into the organization, the typical questions that you used to ask. And think about this. I don't know about you, Tony, but my wife is a big fan of those TV shows where they buy a house, destroy the house, rebuild the house and then try to sell it. Those are kind of all the rage nowadays. You see them in all the doctor's offices. And, you know, my favorite part of those shows is when they do the staging. It's when they, you know, kind of set the house up in a certain way so that when buyers come through that house, what are they looking for to happen? They want that buyer to look around and actually envision themselves living there. And that's what the interview process needs to be today. You need to build an environment that people see themselves working there because the reality is there's a lot of choice out there. There's a lot of different angles and opportunities for people. And, you know, the one thing I see, Tony, that I think companies could maybe learn from when you're looking for people to come to work for you in all the various channels, you should really lead with what you need. And I'll give you an example looking at the want ads and I saw a want ad for a receptionist for a law firm. And the ad said basically that the skills that this receptionist needed were computer skills and organizational skills. And I just stopped for a second and I thought to myself, really? Is that what you're looking for? Because you know, if that's a receptionist, really what you want is somebody that's got a high HQ, right? They got a high hospitality quotient. And every single person that walks into that office, that first interaction with that person behind the desk is going to be amazing. That person's going to make them feel like they're the most important person in the world when they walk into your space. And I really think that's what you should be leading with. Um, yeah, you could have had a Google dictation device up front. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, and you know, right. I, I think yeah. the technology has made things tough in a ways too, because people are craving connection, Tony. I, I think we're putting a lot of technology maybe in places it doesn't belong. Oh God, you are really pushing the buttons with me today. <laughs> Just a thought. There's, listen, we are we spend so much of our time trying to put the the human back into human resources. It's just it seems like it has been it has been stripped out quite a bit. Um, well, you touched on a few things, and I, I want to go back. And you you said that you know they, they feel more the power has shifted to the worker. You know For they're sure. very opinionated, right, Mike? They want to see their values kind of reflected in the company. And I think that is uh, a trend that I don't think is going to change now. It's more experiential. So what advice do you have for an organization to kind of market that, to share that with a marketplace of people to even get them to come interview, to be part of it? It's one thing to, you know, have them sit down in an interview process, but how do you bring those people in in the first place? What do you think? So, you know, Tony, I think that purpose is the greatest gift that you can give to an associate or employee. Everybody wants to be part of something that is much bigger than themselves. And if you think about what we do in marketplaces, you know, you could walk into a marketplace and you could ask everybody that works there, you know, what do you do here? And you would typically get answers like, I make sandwiches, or I ring a cash register, or I make pizza. And the reality is that's not what they're there doing at all. What they're doing there is actually, right, creating happiness. They're creating a space 
for Fortune 500 companies, when people come down and have that 30 or 40 minutes away from work, that you're creating an experience for them. And it's twofold, right? So that that empowering the associates, and I think, you know, associates want a couple of things from companies, right? They, they want to have um, roots, right? And they want to have wings. They want to be part of a company that reflects their values, but they also want the autonomy to be inventive and to be creative and to inspire reactions from people. I think the, you know, the old days, Tony, right, where you were scripted, right? Everybody, if if somebody, if you said thank you to an employee, they'd all say my pleasure. I think we're away from that now. We don't want robots working in our spots. We want real people, real connections, right? And and I really think the guests want to see what the real you is. And when you come to work and you can be yourself, well, that's probably a place you're going to stay. I think people want to be expressive. And and I just, although I understand why companies do it, because they're trying to provide a uniformity of service or a uniformity of experience, the reality is everyone's different, right? And the experience that everyone wants when they go into a place to get custard or whether it's a Chick-fil-A is different. And that's why you've got to allow the team, the autonomy to be able to do that, to create that. Um, if somebody's happy and excited and loves what they do, that reflects back to the guest and the guest will be drawn to that. I'll tell you a quick story. I was, um, I was, a, this goes back a few years ago, Tony, I'm a little, we're not going to so. date ourselves, okay. Mike. That's That'd one of the great. primary rules. We do not date ourselves. <laughs> that would be great. So You're I- this is a safe space, Mike. <laughs> That's great. So I was looking for a grill cook. And it was during a time where, you know, the employment, it was just tough to get people, tough to have people walk in. And I remember this first gentleman came in and I met with him. His name was Damon. And I'm talking to him. And I really like this guy. He's upbeat. He's looking me in the eye. But when I asked him if he had any experience in cooking, he said to me, he goes, well, I'm a home cook. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what that means. So I called the chef over and I said, David, come on over here. Take Damon in the back and, you know, cook a few things with him. Do some knife skills. Let's see what he can do. So they go in the back and they're gone for maybe five or 10 minutes, which seemed really short to me. And as they're coming out, Damon's first and he's looking me in the eye and he's smiling and kind of skipping his way out of the kitchen. And behind him, the chef is waving his arms back and forth and mouthing to me, no. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I said, David, what happened? He said, listen, the guy's never held a knife before. He couldn't cut a carrot. And I said, so, David, I got a feeling about this. And I'm never afraid to make mistakes, by the way. I'm going to hire this guy and you're going to train him. And chef said yes. And we went to work. And I got to tell you, Tony, something miraculous happened because Every day for breakfast in this account, I did $700 a day. Every day, every day, every day. 30 days after I hired Damon, I'm doing 1000 60 days after I hired Damon, I'm doing about $1,500 a day for breakfast. And by the, la- by the 90th day that Damon's with me, I'm like doing $2,000 a day for breakfast. I cannot figure out what's going on because I'm going to tell you, Tony, he was not a super skilled chef, but you know what he was? He was really nice. And people really liked him. They liked him so much that they went back to other cubicles and said, hey, you got to go downstairs and see this guy that's working the grill. And and I got to tell you, I learned a lesson that day, particularly when you're customer facing and you're right in front of the guest. Attitude can outplay skill every single day of the week. And I even tried an experiment with Damon. At one point, I said, why don't we, like at lunchtime, let's put Damon at the most expensive station 
and see what happens. And you can imagine what happened. Guests just got in line. It didn't matter what he was serving, didn't matter what he was cooking. People wanted to interact with him. And, you know, at that point, I really decided, you know what, Mike, you got to refine your intuition when you're interviewing people and you've got to look beyond skill set to the intangibles and the soft skills that these people bring to the table. Worst day, Tony. So about three years later, a job came up. Damon was perfect for it. So I, I put him up for the job. He got the job and he left me. So the next day I'm standing at the grill because I don't have a grill cook and I'm, oh, working, no. I'm working breakfast, right? So the first guest walks in and the guest stands about 30 feet from me and he's looking at me, but he's not walking over. And I'm saying, so, <laughs> and I'm saying, sir, sir, come on over. I can make you breakfast. And his oh, first gosh. words out of his mouth was, where's Damon? And I said, oh, gosh, well, Damon doesn't work here anymore. But, you know, I'm a classically trained chef. I I can get you whatever you want. The guy kind of looked me up and down. He said, yeah, I don't think so. And he turned around and he laughed. So big lesson there. Um, And I hired differently from that day forward. What a great, great. Thank you for even just sharing that window into that learning. Um, Because, yeah, one of the questions I had was, you know, you're talking about, you know, how do we transform the workplace, you know, to kind of match these generational changes? I think that is clearly one way to do it. Um, are you are, are you changing the way you interview now or is it um, do you do you source from different places now? What what has changed to help you kind of match, you know, yeah. what, what has transpired? Uh, So I think great questions. I think we've changed kind of the whole process, right? And just really understanding that whole idea of, you know, leading with what you need. So if, if we need somebody in the front of the house, they don't necessarily need to have done that job before. But when they come to the interview, you know, how did they dress? Are they smiling? Are they excited to be there? Um, and asking the right questions, right? I think, you know, one of my favorite questions is, you know, so Tony, if I give you $100,000 tomorrow to open a business, what type of business would you open? Those types of questions really give you some insight into their soul because number one, they're not prepared for that. <laughs> That's not a question they expected to get. And then second, you know, I think it's really interesting how they come back on that. The other part is you've got to onboard people the right way, right? You've got to immediately on that first day, make them feel like they're, they belong to an organization that cares about them, that wants to nurture them, and that is going to provide opportunity for them. I think a lot of times, you know, jobs pigeonhole what it is, Um, You know, this is what it is and this is what you're going to be doing when you should be selling. You know, here's where you're going to start, but where you finish is 100 percent up to you. So how do you help the the worker start connect the the person providing the happiness? Wait, what do do we call that? The uh, (laughs) the happiness maker? Yeah, the the hospitality quotient, which I stole from Danny Meyer, by the way, the master of hospitality. Yes, the HQ. So, okay, so we take so. Um, practically speaking, how do you make that connection between what's important to them and what's important to the company? Is it, is it a conversation that's had during the interview? Is it something else that happens during the work week? So I think it's a combination of all of those things, right? It's, it's understanding. So like we have promise cards, these cards, you know, we have a service promise. We say a great guest experience starts with me, which we want to empower the people to understand. So here's what we're here to do, right? We're, 
we serve food, but we're in the people business and we're going to provide great experiences for people. And with that card, we have our seven essentials, which are our showtime behaviors, right? There's a thought process that when you cross from the back of the house to the front of the house and there are guests present, it's showtime. You're on, right? And it is a bit of a show that we're putting on out there, right? We're nourishing and taking care of people, but that can be done in a fun way. I think the other thing, Tony, for hospitality companies, you know, across the spectrum, guys, we got to change. We can't be so grueling and so painful. You know, my first chef job, they said, Mike, you're going to work six days a week, 14 hours a day. And I said, I can't wait. When do I start? Well, today's generation isn't looking for that. They're looking for a lot more balance in their life. They're looking for purpose in their life. They want to do something that fulfills them, um, but they don't want to do it 80 hours a week. So it's really changing the way we approach. And if you look at it, some national chains, Tony, are doing interesting things. Danny Myers and his group started to look at four-day work weeks. Last week, I read that Chick-fil-A is going to look at three-day work weeks. So, you know, allowing people space, right? And, And again, always focusing on what they're there to do. If I could, I'll share with you another quick story. This this one is one of my favorites. So do you remember Men's Warehouse and... um more oh yeah, you're gonna you'll uh, we guarantee it. What does he yeah, say? You're uh, gonna like the way you look. We guarantee it. So I was um, I went on a two year journey before I started doing what I was doing, and really wanted to look at companies um, that were the best at what they do. And I had read an article about George Zimmer, and I was really really interested in you know him and how he started the men's warehouse. And I was in Texas. And I was talking to the salesperson about how they got onboarded and, you know, how they were just, they just provide another level of experience when you buy a suit. And I met, I happened to say to the guy, you know, gosh, I'd really love to talk to George about this someday. And he goes back into the office. He brings out a card. He goes, this is George's number. Call him. And I thought to myself, so there's no way I'm going to pick up the phone, call him, and he's going to answer. But he did. And we had this great conversation and I asked him a question. I knew it was, by the way, as soon as he picked up the phone, I knew it was him because I remembered the voice from the radio. (laughs) Right. It's so memorable. He made so many commercials. And I said to him, I I said, I asked about the commercials and he got, he said, oh gosh, Mike, he said, don't get confused. Those commercials, although I want to sell more suits, those commercials are a hundred percent for my team. And I said, explain, please. He said, well, if you listen to the commercials, every one of them are a guest talking about a fabulous experience. And they always name the person that provided the experience and the city that it was in. And he talked about training through stories. And he said, you know, these behaviors, these positive behaviors that people don't nearly focus enough on are repeatable. And when you tell your team stories of how to create a great experience, they will in turn do that. And I just thought to myself, how smart is that? Here's a guy that used his advertising dollars, not just to sell suits, but he used his advertising dollars to train his team on the radio. So really, really smart guy, really interesting conversation. Well, and I think there's even another layer to that because the other teams who were not mentioned what do you think they want to do? Exactly right. You want to get on that commercial. You want right? to be, yes. <laughs> so good. And it was so, so now smooth. everyone's vying for that perfect customer experience. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, you know, and this kind of goes about what's going, you know, so now no one's wearing suits. 
So you got, you, you're right. You got to wonder, like, how are they going to pivot? Because, you know, companies have to pivot. We're, you know, we're bringing a lot of technology into our business. So now if a guest, you know, creates a mobile order, how do we make a memorable experience? Because if you look out at what's happening in retail, Tony, and I'm not being critical at all, but when you place a mobile order and you walk into an establishment and you take your food off of a rack that's in alphabetical order, I just would ask you, so what was the experience there? And there's kind of none, right? So we're really- uh, Annoyance. It's just Because not, you're having to park and walk and dodge cars and- It's yeah. just not awesome, right? No. So, so we're really thinking through and we've been doing- And when I say we, these aren't ideas that come from me, by the way. These are ideas that come directly from the field. Uh, if I could impart any wisdom, which you know is silly for me to say onto anyone, um, the best ideas will always come from the front line in the field. And that's who you should be talking to. And that's who you should be listening to. So we had, you know, baristas that were writing little messages on the cups. And we started, we have a voice of the customer platform. The amazing Allison Lambert runs that platform for us. And we started to see guests going onto our platform and going, hey, I got my coffee this morning. And she wrote an amazing message on it. So we started to do the same thing with these orders people would pick up. And you would watch... We had um, a film that I show the teams as a training piece. A guest would grab his food off of the rack, and, and as he's walking away, he looks down at the box, and there was a personalized message on the box for him. And he turned around and looked back at the team. He's like, all right. He's like, that is so cool. So, again, it, it's thinking through the entire experience. I don't think you're going to get awesome experience through apps. I think what guests want is the app to work, and then it's our role to make the experience happen. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking about all my experiences with even, you know, going on a cruise, you know, and you go back to your room, you've really probably not had a lot of interaction with whoever is making your room look nice, right? So you don't get a lot of that one-to-one. -one. Sometimes, you know, you get a chance to talk with them and chat and that, that's kind of fun. But what what do they do? They create fun things and put on your your bed, right? You've, right? you've right. You've come. We. It was so fun though. It, I think they tried to figure out how to make an animal out of every single towel. I couldn't. <laughs> That's true. Like, what are we going to see today? You know, an elephant, a giraffe. You know, and it was those little things. See, and I'm talking about it right now. I remember those extra little things, and I think that's really what you're talking about is, um, you know, hiring people who have this you know, the, this spirit about them, this, um, you know, attitude, something you said to me, um, it really kind of stuck with me and I'm hoping you can maybe expand on it a little bit, but you talked about the, the power of gratitude. I don't remember mm -hmm. exactly the context you brought it up. Um, can you comment on that? I would love to. Yeah. So people, and, and going back to what you just said, so whoever said, don't sweat the small stuff wasn't in the hospitality business. They didn't have a high HQ, did they? They did not because actually in hospitality, it's the little things that you remember. It's that, you know, dipping sauce for your fries. It's that tomato salsa they put on your burger. It's those things that people remember. And when you look at gratitude, people talk a lot about leadership skills. And, and I agree. I think curiosity is an amazing leadership skill. I think empathy, again, is an is, is an amazing skill for leaders to have. But the other thing you need to impart on your team is to understand where your guests are coming from. And the power of gratitude 
is an amazing one. When guests walk into your space and they know that you appreciate them and they understand that you are there for them, that is powerful and that brings them back. You know, Walt Disney talked forever about peak end theory and his thought process was first impressions are important, but really guests remember what happens last the most. It's why when you go to Disney World at the end of the day, there's fireworks and a parade every day, every day, every day, because Whatever happened to you that day, you're never going to forget standing there with your kids, watching those fireworks go by as the, you know, as the, as the characters all walk past you. That's what you're going to remember. So peak end theory is a real thing and gratitude at the end of the interaction is so important to make eye contact, to look at that guest and let them know you appreciate them. The other day for the first time I flew JetBlue, which is amazing because I'm usually on the road like 300 days a year. So I'm flying JetBlue. We're trying to get off the plane and I notice like it's, it's congested at the front of the plane and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? And as I got to the front of the plane, the pilot was standing in the doorway and every guest that went by, he was thanking them. My family appreciates this. I so appreciate having this job. Thank you for choosing us. And I just thought to myself, so smart. So, so smart because it's going to make me think about using JetBlue again. Yeah. So you kind of forget whether there was weather, you forget whether there was turbulence, any of that kind of stuff. It's gone, right? It's the, the peak end theory at that it's point. It's the last thing I remembered was just his, you know, his you being honestly appreciative of us being there because, you know, for those guys, that's tough, right? 127 people walk off your plane and you're saying thank you and have a good day to everybody. But being able to do it and being sincere about it is really the trick, right? That's the secret sauce, sincerity, authenticity, and guests really feeling like, you know what? They do appreciate my business here. I, I'm a pretty big proponent of team assessments or assessments for individuals. And then as a team, we look at how we all kind of fit together. Um, I've talked about this before. Uh, my Clifton Strengths Finder. I've kind of gone through that. I, I won't won't go go through it right now. But I've I've got some new people I'm onboarding, and we went through that process. And it's kind of fun to see, you know, how people fit together and different qualities and traits and intensities that certain things show up. Are, what's your opinion on uh, assessments? So I, I love them. Um, we use DISC, which is a great one. I think, you know, hospitality, first of all, is a team game. And you have to understand that. I think there's a lot of conversation of who comes first. And in my opinion, it's no contest. In order to create a great environment for the guest, the team must come first. And the team has to understand why they're there, what it is you want them to do, that you're fully supporting them. And they have to, like you said, Tony, they have to fit together. And it's, you know, when you look at diversity, diversity and personality types is an important role, right? It's Oh my gosh, it's so important. It's such an important part of the team because everybody brings a different perspective. And if you create the right environment where people, everyone feels like they have a voice and they can speak, um, that's a really good thing. Because if your people are focused about, you know, doing a better job of whatever it is you're trying to achieve, create experiences, create happiness, you know, building widgets, and everybody has an opinion and everybody fits together and we're all pulling in the same direction. You really get away from all those things that hurt the workplace, gossip, talking behind the back, 
people being oh, so toxic, right? All of those things destroy your workplace. And, mm-hmm. and, and guys, you know, you got to, you got to get beyond that and creating culture happens in each individual unit, right? Corporations can create cultures and provide tools and all of those things that you need. But ultimately, the leader creates the culture in the space. We've always heard, right? And I hate that they do this, by the way. If you go onto LinkedIn, everybody puts the quote that people don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. Well, what about the inverse of that? People don't stay in specific organizations, right? They stay with particular bosses. And that is what you should strive to be is that person that people want to work for, right? You can still be tough. You can still hold people accountable, but, you know, have that empathy, have those pieces and constantly nudge your team in a direction that is, you know, that is focused. And when you have victories, celebrate those. And when things go wrong, work as a team to fix those. One of the most powerful things that you can do with a team, instead of getting in front of them and making statements, which a lot of leaders do, why don't you just step back and ask a few questions like, hey, Tony, how could we have handled this differently? How can we be better at what we do? I, I think that those assessments and putting the pieces of your team together are critical. Yeah, really empowering them to look at the problem holistically rather than they're being attacked individually and then set about you know solving that problem. You were, you know, you talked earlier about Damien. Imagine if he had been a VP of sales. Can you imagine the number of people that would want to stay, maybe oh. potentially in that organization? Because there's such high turnover uh, in, sure. in sales, you know, 10, 15% a year, year yeah. over year. It, it, it is for sure. And those personality types, and, you know, I've taken a lot of different assessments, seen a lot of different ones out there. Um, I find value in all of them, by the way. I'm not that type of person that says, hey, there's only one way to make tomato sauce. No, there's, there's five or six ways that you can make tomato sauce. Just make sure you're using one of them. Have a recipe. Have a guideline. Don't just put yourself in the position uh, without, you know, you need the data. You need the knowledge to, to kind of create, right? You, you got to know the equation to create the result. And, and I think at times... You know, people write off uh, assessments and those types of things. Gosh, they're right so much more than they're wrong. (laughs) If you're a restaurant owner, you're someone leading a team of hospitality professionals, and you know you've got a problem in your organization. Any kind of last words, any practical things, maybe that that first step they could take? Yeah, so here's, and this may, may or may not be popular. Don't regret failure. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Learn from it because part of the, and I I think I found this out the hard way. Setbacks are actually part of the process. When you have setbacks and you get together as a team and you mutually come out with a solution and you all walk out of that room and decide, okay, going forward, here's what we're going to do. That failure, that mistake, that opportunity actually created a path to excellence for you. And it's just like service recovery, Tony, right? Every time something goes wrong in your business, but you fix it, you have this opportunity to create a guest for life. Same thing back with the team. When things go wrong in your business, you have the opportunity to not just create, not just correct it, but to create a correction that's going to make your business better and it's going to make your team feel more connected. And it's going to go back to that whole thing that they have a say in what we do. Yeah, I think one of the cornerstones of, I think, uh, 
an open-minded leader and organization is that you do embrace failure. And uh, of course, failure or fail is first attempt and learning. So I'm a big believer in in failing. Uh, just don't keep failing at the same thing. Uh, <laughs> make the adjustment. The 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 next idea that goes with that is act, learn, adjust. Yeah. Act, I mean, act, learn, adjust. How else are we going to improve? Yeah. Don't you think, Tony, I think at times like the death of kind of, you know, business or this strive for excellence is thinking that you're there. If you go to work every day realizing that you're not there and that there's always room to improve and there's always room to be better and that, you know, you've got two sides of the coin to work on. Are you creating a great work environment? Because I feel like part of my job and the people that report to me is to create, is to help them create the best job they've ever had. Because if they love their job and they're empowered, right, and, and they have purpose, they're going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, Kelly Pope, Allison Lambert, Aaron Lombardi that came to work for us now. Um, my success is really a matter of letting them loose and letting them do what they do best. Well, you're really talking as a servant leader. And here we are wrapping up our podcast and we could literally start part two, which is servant leadership, because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the inverted pyramid where you, the SVP, support the VPs, the VPs support the directors, and so on and so forth all the way down. And the most important person is Damien, the line cook. That's no the doubt. most important person in the entire organization. And talking about realizing you're never actually there, the only way you do that is that if you have an aspirational there. You can have a, uh, an easier-to-achieve you know, mission, and that can be the there, but the team has to hook on to some sort of an aspirational there. And uh, for those leaders who are really wanted to make that change, what you're, you're the point you're at is here. And here is very difficult because you have to be brutally honest. What we sometimes call the moment of truth. The mo- moment of truth is understanding here is where you are, the situation you're in. But the good news is as soon as you act, learn, adjust, you're on the path the path toward there. And eventually, you know, you will make progress. So, Mike, I appreciate all your um, key learnings from your time in hospitality. I know you've probably been responsible for hiring hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, on a, a national scale. So I think having your your perspective uh, and your genuine just kind of optimism around people, I think is very refreshing. That is right. And I really appreciate you having me on, Tony. It was a lot of fun. Well, Mike, thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you.